Welcome to Seeing Beyond Risk, a podcast series from the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. I'm Chris Fivoli, Staff Actuary Communications and Public Affairs at the CIA. The CIA recently released a practice resource document dealing with risk appetite. And joining us today to provide more information on what's in this paper is Megan Orr, who is currently Vice Chair of the Committee on Enterprise Risk Management. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Let me just explain to us, what do you mean when you say risk appetite? What's that all about? Put simply, risk appetite is the level and type of risk that an organization is both willing and able to accept in pursuit of its objectives. It's articulated and governed by an organization's risk appetite framework. So this is the collection of all of the policies, controls, and systems that are used to establish, embed, communicate, monitor risk appetite. This framework defines clear boundaries to operate within in pursuit of those business objectives, and it clearly outlines the roles and responsibilities of all of the various stakeholders. Also importantly, it provides a common language with which we can understand and talk about risk. So a strong risk appetite framework is a really useful aid in decision making, and it's useful for holding staff accountable for risk-taking behavior and uh, really helpful in supporting a strong risk culture. An effective risk appetite framework also is focused not just on risk, but also on achieving business objectives. So it will guard against excessive risk-taking, but also against excessive caution. So to that end, it should be forward-looking, aligned with an organization's business and strategic plans, its vision, and its compensation philosophy to encourage those desired behaviors. It's really very much an iterative process to maintain a risk appetite framework that meets all of these objectives, and it does require ongoing dialogue to achieve and to maintain that buy-in with all of the various players and to reinforce that risk culture within your organization. Now, the paper also talks about risk appetite statements, so could you tell us what's typically found in these statements and what purpose do they serve? The purpose of risk appetite statements is to articulate and describe an organization's risk appetite in a concise manner. This can be easier said than done, and it can be challenging and also time-consuming to clearly articulate risk appetite. The content of the statements themselves will vary, but there are some considerations to keep in mind when you are establishing risk appetite statements. So firstly, they should address the most important risks faced by your organization. As an example, I come from insurance. An insurance company would want to ensure its risk appetite statements cover their major quantitative risks, such as insurance risk, market risk, credit risk, liquidity, as well as the more qualitative risks like operational risk and strategic risk. It's also a good idea to consider both normal and stressed conditions when you're thinking about these risks and developing those statements because the results of stress and scenario testing can be really helpful in identifying events that may at some point cause your organization to exceed its risk appetite. The risk appetite statements will be consumed by many stakeholders, so it's also important to consider the audience, their various points of view, and the risks most relevant to them. As an example, the board is ultimately responsible for approving the risk appetite framework, and they'll have a more high-level view of risk. 
whereas management will use the risk appetite statements to evaluate acceptability of risks at a much more granular level than the board. You'll also have investors, regulators, and even customers who are going to be interested in your most important risks. So there really is a wide variety of stakeholders to consider. And this means that communication is really key for risk appetite statements. So a really effective risk appetite statement is both easy to communicate and easy to understand. You could perfectly define your organization's appetite for a particular risk, but if doing that takes several pages of really dense technical jargon to express, no one will read it or remember it, and consequently, that statement's not going to be top of mind when the risk itself materializes. So try to keep it brief, try to keep it relatively simple, and just strive to help define the boundaries to stay within while you're pursuing business strategy. Also, see if you can have the statement ideally lend itself to clear limits that are measurable. Last point on this, risk appetite statements ideally are forward-looking rather than retrospective. So it's much more useful to know when you're about to exceed your risk appetite so that your management can pull the necessary levers to adjust your risk profile. And it's a lot less useful to find out that you know, you've already exceeded your risk appetite and you're sitting in a position with a risk exposure that's unacceptable. Okay, I was hoping you could describe the difference between risk capacity, risk tolerance, and risk limits. To me, it sounds like they're all performing very similar functions. They do sound similar, but there are important distinctions. Risk capacity is the maximum level of risk that an organization is able to support before it breaches constraints that are determined by things like regulatory capital or minimum liquidity needs and contractual obligations to customers and shareholders, et cetera. So it's the maximum ceiling on risk-taking and it's the ceiling imposed by forces sort of outside the organization. In contrast to, to risk capacity, we also talk about risk tolerance, and this represents the amount of risk that an organization is willing to accept, and that's generally less than its maximum capacity. Risk tolerance sets out overall boundaries for each material risk category. It is often expressed as a quantitative key metric or as a qualitative assertion, depending on the risk type. And you can think of it as the line in the sand that cannot be crossed without board approval. Some characteristics of a good risk tolerance include clear boundaries on acceptable risk taking and clear links to the risk appetite statement, clear actions required if you exceed your tolerance levels. And another great characteristic is, again, it should be within management's control to take action to move that risk profile if it begins to exceed your risk tolerance. The practice resource document that you mentioned contains some examples of risk tolerances. And one in particular that I like and that meets these criteria is, again, pulled from the insurance industry. We seek to maintain a level of capital between 180% and 230% MCT. Our internal minimum level of capital is 180% MCT. If the actual capital level falls below the internal minimum, then immediate remedial action plans will be implemented. So I really like this example because it sets very clear thresholds. It states actions required if the tolerance is exceeded. And as I mentioned, it is within management's control to remediate. I also want to point out that it defines an upper level of capitalization. So if this organization exceeds that upper level, it's probably showing excessive caution and it's likely not making the most efficient use of its capital resources. Risk limits are really closely linked to risk tolerances, but they are more operational in nature. So risk limits serve to translate those risk tolerances 
into practical constraints on day-to-day -day business activities. This means that effectively operating within risk limits is a good way to avoid exceeding the overall risk tolerance at your organizational level. So the limits will be more granular than risk tolerances, and they're usually established at the level of an organization that manages a particular risk on that day-to-day -day basis. The limits are most effective when they are easy to measure, easy to monitor, and easy to understand. Though, again, this can also be challenging to achieve in practice. Another characteristic that you may have on your risk limits is you could establish both upper and lower limits, again, in order to both limit excessive risk-taking as well as excessive caution. And some risk limits are also defined as either hard or soft limits. So a hard limit would be one that requires immediate action to be taken if it's breached, whereas on the other hand, soft limits would instead more be a driver of discussion, something to heighten awareness, something to influence decision making, but it may not require that same immediate action if it's surpassed. So overall, risk limits effectively are the tool that management uses to operationalize the risk appetite. As an example, you know, a quantitative risk limit might be something like sub-investment grade assets will not exceed 3% of our total portfolio. And you could have also a more quantitative risk limit, which could be something like, you know, we will not enter into the following types of business. Okay, that was helpful. Can you tell us some of the ways that risks can be measured and how they can be reported to the various audiences? Yeah, some risks are easier to measure and some are harder. So for risks that lend themselves to quantification well, two of the most common ones are value at risk and tail value at risk or conditional tail expectation. So as actuaries know, these measure a maximum or an expected loss over the specific time horizon and chosen probability level. Some other examples of the more quantitative risk measures would be capitalization levels, perhaps earnings at risk, or maximum asset liability mismatch. It's more difficult to measure those qualitative risks. So for example, operational risk, which is the risk of losses from failed processes, policies, or systems is notoriously difficult to quantify. What you could do instead is define some proxies, such as measuring metrics for staff turnover over time. And that can help you understand when operational risk might be increasing or when it might be declining. Another great desirable quality in a risk metric is the ability to aggregate it across all of the various business areas. Depending on the metric, the approach for aggregation could be as simple as just adding it all up, or it could be appropriate to use some more complex statistical methods like correlation matrices or copulas. Aggregation will allow company management to measure the risks, monitor them at an organizational level, and also as necessary, drill down and examine the various sources and drivers of risk within the business and do that all on a consistent basis. That said though, it can be really challenging to develop those forward-looking risk metrics that meet all of our desired criteria. So we tend to have a lot of retrospective performance information at our fingertips day to day, but a lot less prospective risk information, particularly for those infrequent events. Uh, so this can be a real challenge for developing your risk appetite framework. And as a risk professional, it's definitely one of the things that will keep your job interesting. Risk reporting 
also a great component of a risk appetite framework and an important one. If you consider risk profile as a point in time assessment of an organization's risk exposure compared against risk tolerances and limits, that's really the basis for risk reporting. So when monitoring and reporting on an organization's risk profile, management would ensure that the information presented is comprehensive, that it's at an appropriate level of detail for the particular audience, as well Of course, it should be accurate, auditable, and consistent with other management information that's produced throughout the organization. One of the tools that's often used for risk reporting is a risk dashboard. So this would be used to give a short, concise overview of an organization's overall risk profile. And these will generally contain metrics for each of the types of risk that you're monitoring reported against their limits and often shown at a glance, perhaps with color coding or arrows to to indicate the current status and the trend. Lastly, on the reporting, frequency of risk reporting is important, and this will vary depending on the risk in question. So some risks may be monitored on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis, while it may be more appropriate for others to be scrutinized daily or even in real time if possible. All right. Final question. What are some of the ways that a risk management perspective can be communicated and adopted throughout an organization? Communication and training on risk appetite is really important at all levels of an organization. The breadth and the depth of the information needed is going to vary for each type of stakeholder. For example, you know, senior management will be interested in how risk exposure is likely to evolve given the business strategy, while frontline staff is likely to be a lot more interested in those granular risk limits governing their daily activities. So audience is really important to consider when you're training and communicating. To really adopt and embed risk culture within an organization on senior management to set that tone at the top. So they'll want to ensure that risk appetite is understood and that it's cascaded to all levels of the organization, that appropriate level of detail. And this is going to allow decision makers to know how much risk is acceptable as they evaluate ways to accomplish their goals. And it's also going to let them know how they're accountable and have them establish action plans just in case risk tolerances or risk limits are breached. Overall, an organization that communicates its risk appetite effectively is going to be better equipped to make informed decisions, better equipped to set risk-based goals, and, and more likely to achieve those goals. So reinforcing risk appetite strengthens an organization's overall risk culture, and it really allows each employee to clearly understand how their role links to risk and what is their accountability for risk-taking. Okay, that was a lot of interesting information. Uh, Any closing remarks before we wrap up? If you're interested in what we've been discussing, I'd encourage you to check out the practice resource document on risk appetite. And I'd also like to close with a plug for the ERM Practice Committee. So we're tasked with promoting the role of actuaries within ERM, and we also lead the development of resource materials like this paper. We're currently looking for new members across all different practice areas. So if this topic and this committee interests you, I encourage you to reach out through the CIA website. Okay, sounds good. Uh, Well, thanks once again for speaking to us today. Thanks very much for having me. I'd like to remind everybody that the risk appetite paper can be found on the CIA website, so we certainly encourage you all to go and give it a read. And we now have over 100 episodes in our podcast series, so we encourage you all to subscribe, and you can do so through whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. 
If you like today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating or a comment. And as always, we'd like to hear from you. So if you have any suggestions or episode ideas, you can reach us at podcasts at cia-ica.ca. As well, we're always looking for content for our Seeing Beyond Risk blog. So if you have some ideas you'd like to share, you can contact us at seeingbeyondrisk at cia-ica.ca. Until next time, I'm Chris Fiboli, and thank you for tuning in to Seeing Beyond Risk.